Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. That happens to me. Yep. So good morning to you. Hope you had a good weekend. I did. Um, went out to dinner on Saturday to a sushi place up in Brentwood. Yeah. Hello. And uh, had great sushi. Awesome. And then last night. Um, had both my daughters over. Mike's wife was here. Made filet mignon, grilled it, um, asparagus and baked potatoes. And I have to tell you, one of the best meals I've ever eaten in my life. That's how good it was. Oh my god, the filet mignon grilled to perfection. I finally, after having my green egg for 10 years, <laughs> I finally figured that thing out. So the green egg is charcoal-based, right? And uh, so in order to cook like the chef says to cook steaks, to be able to sear them, right? And so you sear it, flip it. Sear the other side, and then you move it to indirect heat, and then it cooks on indirect heat until the core temperature is what it needs to be. And then, you know, you can't ever screw it up. Well, I always struggle with putting too much charcoal in 
And I, so I, I wind up not putting in enough. So instead of being able to sear it, um, I have to keep it over the heat to make sure it cooks through and through. Now, especially fillets, right, because they're thicker. But anyhow, um, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, like, max this thing out. And I did. And I'm stupid, right, for not doing that sooner. And so the steaks seared like they should, put them on indirect heat. And because I have my digital meat thermometer, now, let me tell you, and this was a Father's Day gift. So all of you that are looking for a cool Father's Day gift, let me suggest one to you. You can go buy, and mine's a Weber kettle uh, thing. And uh, so, hold on, I'll find it for you. Weber kettle digital meat thermometer. And mine, uh, it's under Weber grills. They're called eye grills. And mine has it's this. It's awesome. I have to tell you, it's a hundred bucks. So it's not cheap. So it's got this base station, and that and and it comes with two probes. Okay, but it accommodates four. Yeah. So. I went out and bought two more, and so every piece of meat had a probe in it. So once I seared it and threw it on the indirect heat, then it was just watching it, and it, like, happened perfectly, too. Now, I was, like, all excited, and my daughters were looking at me going, like, what is wrong with you? But, and then in addition to the fillets, right, we had Bernay sauce for the fillets. <laughs> Oh, my God. Unbelievable. And Colleen picked out the baked potatoes, and I wasn't really paying attention. The largest baked potato I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, the thing was massive. And So my ex-wife comes in. She looks at the potatoes, and she looks at me, and she says, really? And I said, I didn't do that. Your daughter did. Like, Colleen, like, you looked at that potato, and what did you think? Yeah, I normally eat that. But let me tell you, that thing, you put enough sour cream and butter in that thing, it was it was, all, it was awesome. Yeah. And then, on top of all that, New York cheesecake with strawberry puree, right? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And so, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, dinner was unbelievable last night. Absolutely unbelievable. So I had a good, I had a good day. And I, I was so busy yesterday, I didn't have time to even watch the Yankees play, which bothered me. So I will catch up on that today. But the, um, I, uh, yeah, you know, the, uh, here's a reminder. Uh, the second post-traumatic winning weekly seminar is going to start on April 14th. So write that down. There'll be information on the website. If you go to the All Marine Radio uh, 
uh, face, uh, Facebook page. If you go to the All Marine Radio website, right, if you go to post-traumatic winning and uh, you click on the menu, you'll see weekly seminar. Click on that and, uh, and you'll see information for that. You can also join uh, if you go to the, if you on Facebook, if you look for the group, Post Traumatic Winning Weekly Seminar, you can join that group and you'll get all the information that you need. So if you want to participate, uh, it'll be 90 minutes, one evening a week. It starts at 5.30 Pacific time, so 8.30 on the East Coast. And we go for about 90 minutes. And I, I, I'm just going to tell you this. Um, you'll absolutely positively enjoy it. Uh, so many interesting people with so many interesting stories, so many different perspectives, and it's it's just um, awesome. So um, tell a friend. If you know somebody who you think should be in it, um, tell them, and it'll change their life. I promise you. It'll certainly change the way they look at trauma, and it'll put them in a position to start helping other people. And uh, so um, you can send me an email if you're interested. Or you can go check out the website. I'll update that here in a little bit. And, um, yeah, that'll start in, uh, on April 14th. <clears throat> so the second version of that. So excited about that. So had a conference call with uh, Peggy and Susan about that. Uh, the two women that are uh, my partners in that. So that was cool. Uh, yesterday. And then went out and ran errands with Colleen. Now, I have to tell you about, I think that um, one of the interesting things about being a parent is creating fun out of nothing. I think it's the art of parenting. Okay. So I have to go by Home Depot yesterday because I'm finishing like the final touch of my video studio, right? And now it's down to very nuanced stuff. So... I have these digital lights. They're LED lights. And you can change the, the the color of the lighting. Okay? So it's not just a white light. So it can go kind of a to a, a... So it goes different colors, which obviously has effect on on skin tones and things like that. So that's the a, that's a beauty, beauty of it. LED is great because it doesn't give off heat. To give off heat. So, um, so I've been messing with that. So it can look good, right? And then, but what ultimately I need is, like, you can turn the, this lighting, right? It's professional kind of lighting. And you can turn it down, but sometimes it's still too much for, for what you're lighting. And so then you, you, you find ways to, quote, unquote, diffuse the light, to soften the light, right? And one of the ways is you take this silk cloth that's made for this. And uh, so what I did, I was doing arts and crafts yesterday, cut it into rectangles. And then you put eyelets in the corner, and then there's a little there's a screw in. You know, you know, uh, you've seen lighting with with doors on it, right? Like professional lighting that has doors on it that open and shut. There'd be four doors on a light. So anyway, that helps you crop the light, right? So anyway, but those that frame that holds the doors goes into the light itself, right? The body of the light. Well, if you take that off, yeah, you take uh, the eyelets and you put it in those you know, over those holes and then you screw the screws that hold in the barn door and then you have laying over the light, you have a diffuser. So 
I had to go get some eyelets for that. I had to go get some duct tape because I ran out of that over the weekend. Some gray spray paint uh, to spray paint something. So Colleen and I go to Home Depot. From there, we go to the grocery store. The lady during the checkout says, can I come to dinner at your house <laughs> tonight? Because she saw the fillets and she saw the asparagus with the potatoes. And then she goes, and cheesecake with strawberries. She goes, I'm coming. She said, but I would get mushrooms for the steaks. I said, we're having Bernay sauce with it. She goes, oh, my God, even better. I will see you here in a little bit when I get off. So you know your meal is going to be pretty good when the grocery clerk starts to comment. So um, from there, we go to a computer store because I'm looking for a, a computer because Jack, I'm sorry, Joe, my dog, ate the tip off the uh, power adapter that goes to this uh, trainer thing that I have on my my road bike, right? So it, it will regulate the resistance, re- regulates the terrain. So, um, yeah. So I go look for that. We don't find it. From there, we go to a fabric store to buy the eyelets that I have to put on these squares of silk that I'm, that I cut. So I bought a, I bought a piece of fabric and I cut all these squares, me playing arts and crafts, right? That match perfectly over the light I bought. And now I got to put those eyelets in. So we're on our way to Joanne's fabric store. Now this is now I say all that stuff to set this up, right? This is the art of parenting. So Colleen and I are sitting there talking about, you know, whatever, nothing. And, I look in the rearview mirror, and there's nobody anywhere behind me, okay? And we're stopped at a light, and I'm in the lane that turns left, but I want to go straight. So I look up, and there's nobody there, and I slip the car in reverse, and then I slam the, I slam the gas on, right? <laughs> and she yells, what? <laughs> right? And we go, we go flying backwards, right? And then I slam the brakes on, right? And I throw it in drive, and we pull up again. And I look at her, and I said, what? <laughs> and she's laughing. She's like, what is wrong with you? I said, what? We had to change lines. <laughs> and she's laughing. And let me tell you, I, I think that it's stupid stuff like that. Right, that makes fun out of nothing. Like I say, going to the dump, going around errands to turn into an adventure. That's what good parents do. Okay, parents who love, who love, who love hanging out with kids, who love being parents. Not everybody does, but so anyway, running errands yesterday with Colleen, and um, I'll tell you what: when I went up to dinner at Brentwood on Saturday night. So, you know, I live in Orange County. So if you if you look at Los Angeles, it's just one landmass, okay? And then San Diego further down the coast by the border. Uh, Orange County's in the in the bottom half of Los Angeles, right? Starts at the coast and it goes inland. I live kind of towards the coast. So Brentwood is right up the coast. Okay? You may recall Brentwood OJ Simpson lived there. Right, Nicole, Nicole uh, Brown 
lived and was killed, murdered in Brentwood. So anyway, the VA hospital in Westwood, which is where UCLA is, right? It's that straddles the freeway and then Brentwood, a little, you know, the next community over towards the water, right? Then it goes Pacific Palisades and then it goes Malibu. So, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So anyway, but the VA hospital is there. I used to go to this VA hospital when I lived up in that direction. So I get off the freeway and I'm driving by and I see all these tents and I'm like, is there, is there some kind of event and it's the homeless population. And you should see the size of this thing. It starts out on, out, on, on uh, would have been Wilshire Boulevard. I remember my son Patrick spent a summer in Los Angeles doing an internship. So we're talking, he goes, yeah, Wilshire. I'm like, dude, what did you just say? And, you know, another major street in Los Angeles is Sepulveda Boulevard. Yeah, and then you go to Sepulveda. I'm like, dude, would you stop being a hillbilly from North Dakota? It's Wilshire and Sepulveda, you dope. So anyway, um, I, I'm driving, and then the road kind of, you know, where I was heading, uh, you hang a right, and you kind of hug the border of the VA hospital with it on this road. And this homeless encampment, is ginormous. It's absolutely incredible. And it's tent after tent after tent after tent after tent after tent. I have to tell you, I, I cannot imagine living in the area and that's what you have to deal with every day. And this is how the city is going to handle homelessness. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know... My opinion, crazy. Crazy. I mean, there was somebody doing bike repairs. There was there was lights on, you know, and a guy working it, you know, next to this tent, and there's like six, seven bikes there. It's like, what is this guy's got a bike, a homeless guy with a bike business? And this is how the city of Los Angeles is dealing with it? Crazy. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. The, um... Another interesting question. You would think that COVID would decimate those little colonies, right? Haven't read that story yet. Why is that? Yeah. I don't rightly know. Um, I wanna talk to I wanna talk about uh the sorry state of our country. And um and in particular, I mean to me. I think there's two, you know, news organizations that, you know, historically have been, you know, leaders in American journalism that are anything but that anymore. And they are uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post. And um, and I'm going to I'm going to. What's most ironic to me about this is the people that are calling out, you know, the Post and the New York Times, the loudest, most articulate voices are liberal journalists. They're not conservative journalists. They're liberal journalists. And I want to talk about 
you know, you've heard me talk about Glenn Greenwald. Um, another guy who has um, non-mainstream-like views who wrote over the weekend is a guy named Andrew Sullivan. Now, Andrew Sullivan would describe himself as a conservative. Conservatives would describe him as something else, right? He's an articulate um, guy. Uh, I'll read you a little bit about his bio, but if you pay attention to current events, many of you have heard of Andrew Sullivan. And um, so, you know, to me, you have Andrew Sullivan, you have Glenn Greenwald, and you have Bill Maher are now becoming loud, loud voices in this pushback against cancel culture. And to me, the false narrative that seeks to, to, to lay everything in our culture, every problem in our culture, at the feet of systemic racism. Right? And again, if you ask them, show it, show it to me. They won't, right? They won't. <clears throat> show me where ex- it exists in education. They can't. Show me where it exists in the military. They'll show you, right, incidental incidences of racism, right? And so, anyway, um, but you look at organizations like the New York Times, which is which is the leader in it, the 1619 Project, which, historic, which historians say is a joke. I'm not even talking about political, you know, people. Conservatives would, would, would probably say it's a joke. But when, when historians take it on as nonsense, you got a problem. Okay? Educators tend to be liberal. So I want to I read you or share with you pieces of something that Andrew Sullivan wrote. It has to do with the murders in Atlanta. And the narrative that's being laid on the American people that, you know, this was a racist attack. And the people that are pushing back, in my opinion, the loudest and most significantly are not, you know, conservative types, right? But other types. When, but when Bill Maher says, well, what if it's not? When Glenn Greenwald last week says... All the evidence points that it's not. Well, Andrew Andrew Sullivan amplifies all that. So I, I want to. I saw the column and I thought it was. I thought it was great, and I I want to talk to you about it because you know. Let me tell you. I when you you look at the direction of the nation, and we talk about our confrontation with China. I would tell you, if you were going to bet your own money. And, and and know this, right? We could lose a confrontation with China, right? It would alter the international system and it, w- it would impact our life. But we still got those that big ocean between us. Okay? America's, one of America's saving graces and great advantages are these gigantic oceans that surround us. Okay? So the Pacific Rim would be screwed. Our life would change. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, the United States will go on in some way, shape, or form. Now, what gives you any, what gives you any indication that, that we're up 
for that fight? Would events in Iraq or Afghanistan tell you that we're up for that fight? Would the leadership from the Department of Defense in those two wars tell you that we're up for a fight with a peer like China? They would truly test us? So the direction of the nation is not a good direction. Being led there by the Washington Post and the New York Times. So um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that this morning. So good morning to you. United States Marine Corps band makes it official. Good morning. And this is dedicated to um, people like Andrew Sullivan and even to, even to Bill Maher and Glenn Greenwald, who have the courage, right, in the face of this woke, in the face of this woke tsunami that much of the American media has embraced, they have not checked their critical thinking skills. Right? In the coat check booth. They continue to use their brains. They continue to understand the role of journalism in our nation. And they are right now the loudest voices uh, that I've seen in our culture that cut across cultural lines. Bill Maher's voice is significant. Right? And I mean, in, in the last week, he himself you know, calls out Teen Vogue. I mean, what kind of stupidity? And here's the irony of ironies. There's another story going around about the Teen Vogue thing. One of the people that was so um, so vocal about ousting that, that woman, I can't even remember her name, who was uh, an, an Axios reporter and then was named editor and then, you know, was na- unnamed editor, um, one of the people that kind of have led the charge, oh, guess what they found in her Twitter account? Oh, yeah, the N-word getting thrown out there. Now, is she done? Should be. Doesn't matter the context. Doesn't matter when you used it. You're just done. We'll, we shall see. We shall see. So, you know, Mar taking on that whole stupid event. 
Right. Stupid event. And, and I just want to, like, who are these people that are demanding it? And why don't the people that run these publications say, you know, look, you can leave, you can leave, you can leave. There's other writers that will come work for us. Thank you. Thank you for your service. See ya. And they roll over. New York Times does it all the time. Dean Begay, who's the editor, and uh, the rich boy, who's, who's the owner, that clown. They are messing, right? And, and again, Andrew Sullivan talks about it. In their coverage, right, the number of articles that they write concluding as if it's a fact that what happened in Atlanta was a race-related event. And as, as Greenwald points out last week, Andrew Sullivan points out again, every indication are that this is a sick human being with a sexual addiction, blamed them for the sexual addiction because they were sex workers and tempted him. Shot two white people and a Hispanic person. Does that get in the news? No. Okay. And so you have the New York Times and the Washington Post leading the charge that here we have racism in America again. And then what's very interesting is Andrew Sullivan goes to New York City and he looks at uh, crimes against Asians. Who's committing them? Little teaser. It ain't white people. Okay. So I want to share it with you. But what caught, what gave me cause for hope over the weekend was that these guys are not right wing conservatives, okay? These are these are not centrist. Although although um, Sullivan would be right of center, all right? Greenwald and Marr are both liberals, saying that hey, this is this is not <laughs> this is not honest. This is not good. What's happening to us? Well, again, and it infects the DOD, too. Because I hate to say this, but my friends were right. I said I didn't believe that the Marine Corps would allow an official Twitter account to attack a journalist and have no comment, nothing to see here. But, in fact, there you have it. Amazing, in my opinion. Amazing. So, this is dedicated to uh, Andrew Sullivan. This is dedicated to uh, Glenn Greenwald. And, for the first time ever, Bill Maher. Okay? For speaking up in the face of this unhinged movement in this country that everything is about race. And you have people that simply... Educators roll over for it. Politicians roll over for it. And it's stunning to watch. Stunning to watch. So, here's hope that at some point, the nation finds its its uh, critical reasoning skills and opens its eyes and takes a look and understands racism in its appropriate context. Yeah, you know, and again, I'm fond of frame, you know, framing, like, you want to call out George Washington. Slavery didn't even get looked at 
as being something that we would not do until 1830-ish, something like that, when people begin, Great Britain bars the trade of slaves. Didn't outlaw slavery in the United Kingdom. Barred the the, the trade of slaves. So you see this this anti-slavery movement internationally begin, what, 30, over 30 years after George Washington's death? Yeah. And so let's go back and judge them. Right? The Egyptians enslaved the, you know, the Jews. Should we judge them? Oh, of course we should. So anyway, this is dedicated to those guys. Hopefully it sparks a broader discussion in the nation. And there's one little one more little interesting tidbit. Um that I want to get to, I don't want to, I, I won't talk about it now. I'll tease it now, but you know, a little news item came out of, uh, uh, one of the Sunday talk shows that, that Donald Trump is starting his own social media company. Now one would imagine the financial resources that Donald Trump could pull in and that maybe he might start some kind of social media company um, and I don't know what it would be. <laughs> First of all, he would have unfettered access to it. Um, but what would it be? Would it be able to take on something like Twitter? So powerful. So, um, and then be unable to be shut down. So, you know, there's a company called Parler that started, but Parler was, uh, did not have its own infrastructure, Right relied on, I think, Amazon servers and things like that um, to accommodate traffic and ultimately got shut down by Amazon. Now, I believe, I don't know if they've made a comeback yet. I believe they tried to, and then their CEO got fired and some other stuff. So anyway, uh, that in the news today. Okay, and um, so it goes. Anyway, let me finish this dedication, check the weather, and then I want to come back to Andrew Sullivan. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly 
What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. For this campus had prepared him well. <clears throat> I'm very confident that, thank you very much. <clears throat> if this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore, so young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day, and Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Yesterday was absolutely gorgeous in beautiful Southern California. About 67, 68 degrees. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. Check the weather right now. Sunny and 55 in Quantico. Down the coast in Quant in uh, at Camp Lejeune, right? Sunny in sixty-two. Tornado Palms sunny in fifty-two. Pendleton sunny in forty-nine. Camp Smith in in Hawaii, dark cloudy and sixty-nine. In Okinawa, dark cloudy and fifty. I don't know what's going on. I'm getting Ramadi weather all of a sudden. So it's cloudy in 78 in Ramadi. It's uh, evening, cloudy, and 63 in the Helmand province of Afghanistan. And at the home of All Marine Radio, it is sunny and 54 degrees. One percent chance of rain <laughs> through 9 a.m. Looking for a high of 63 today. 64 tomorrow. 69 on Wednesday. 59 on Thursday. 61. And that's not what I saw on my phone. So here's what my phone says. Today's 66. Tomorrow's 66. Wednesday's 72. Thursday, rain in 63. Friday, rain in 64. So all the temperatures on my phone are different than the ones on... I like my phone more. Yeah. All right. That is a look at uh, your weather. All right. So I'm cruising around... Uh, my news feed on, I don't know, Saturday, I guess. And um, I run across uh, a story with this headline. Andrew Sullivan blasts media for grotesquely distorting Atlanta shootings to push hate crime narrative. Um, so I see that story and then I go find his column which is on a uh, 
You can find him at Andrew Sullivan, all one word, dot substack dot com. Right. So you'll find him there. It, it, he writes a thing called The Weekly Dish. And the headline of this is when the narrative replaces the news, how the media grossly distorts the Atlanta massacres. OK, now let me tell you who Andrew Sullivan is. Um, a British-American author, editor, and blogger, political commentator, former editor of the New Republic, and the author or editor of six books. He started his political blog, The Daily Dish, in 2000, eventually moved on to other platforms, including Time Magazine, The Atlantic, The Daily Beast, Finally, an independent subscription-based format. He announced his retirement from blogging in 2015. From 2016 to 2020, he was a writer at large at New York Magazine. His newsletter, The Weekly Dish, was relaunched in July of 2020 after he left New York Magazine. He's a conservative, grew up as a Roman Catholic, and in the ideas of the British political philosopher, Michael Oakeshott. In 2003, he wrote he was no longer able to support the American conservative movement as he was disaffected by the Republicans' party continued rightward shift on social issues during the George Bush era. Born and raised in Britain, lived in the United States since 1984, currently resides in Washington, D.C. and Provincetown, Massachusetts. He is openly gay and a practicing Roman Catholic. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen, okay, just in case in, in case you don't know. So anyway, so that's Andrew Sullivan. Okay, so um, Mac, what's the name of your digital meat thermometer? Okay, it's called the iGrill 2. Okay, and... Um, It's awesome. Yeah, it can take as many as four different probes. They're all color-coded. And then the display, right, on your phone shows you every probe and its current temperature. Yeah, awesome Father's Day gift. Trust me, 100 bucks. And then I think each additional probe might be, I don't know, 12 or $13. So 120 or $30. And what you're going to get out of it is a kind of a selfish gift, right? Because you're going to get great steaks. They're going to stop screwing up the steaks. Yeah, because you if you if you just do the basic stuff, there's no way you screw it up. So anyway, um, there you have it. Yeah, it's a Weber Grills thing. So Weber Grills, the iGrill 2. So there you have it. All right. So this is Andrew Sullivan. The massacres at three massage parlors in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area this week, leaving eight human beings dead, others injured, and their families scarred, were horrifying. But this story is also deeply instructive about our national discourse and the state of American mainstream and elite media. This story's coverage is proof, it seems to me, that American journalism, American journalists, have officially abandoned the habit of attempting any kind of objectivity in reporting these stories, 
we are now in the enlightened social justice world of moral clarity and narrative shaping. Here's the truth. We don't yet know why this man did these horrible things. It's probably complicated or, as my therapist used to say, multi-determined. That's why we have thorough investigations and trials in America. We only have one solid piece of information as to motive, which is the confession of the mass killer to law enforcement that he was a religious fundamentalist who was determined to live up to chastity and repeatedly failed, as is often the case. Like the 9-11 bombers or the mass murderer at the Pulse nightclub, he took out his angst on the source of what he saw as his temptation and committed mass murder. This is evil in the classic fundamentalist sense, a perversion of religion and sexual repression into violence. We should not take the killer's confession as definitive, of course, but we can probe it. And indeed, his story is backed up by acquaintances and family and friends. The New York Times ran one piece reporting this out. The Washington Post also followed up with one piece citing contemporaneous evidence of the man's religious mania and sexual compulsion. It appears that the man frequented at least two of the spas he attacked. He chose the spas, his ex-roommate said, because he thought they were safer than other ways to get easy sex. Just this morning, the New York Times ran a second piece which confirms that the killer had indeed been in rehab for sexual impulses, was a religious fanatic, and his next target was going to be a business tied to the pornography industry. We have yet to find any credible evidence of anti-Asian hatred or bigotry in the man's history. Maybe we will. We can't rule it out. But we do know that his roommates say they once asked him if he picked the spas for sex because the women were Asian. And they say he denied it, saying that he thought those spas were just the safest way to have quick sex. That needs to be checked out more. But the only piece of evidence about possible anti-Asian bias points away, not towards it. And yet, Well, you know it's coming. Accompanying one original piece on the known facts, the New York Times ran nine, nine with an exclamation mark, separate stories about the incident as part of the narrative that this is an anti-Asian hate crime fueled by white supremacy and or misogyny. Not to be outdone, the WAPO ran 16 separate stories on the incident as an anti-Asian white supremacist hate crime. 16! Exclamation mark. One story for the facts, 16 stories on how critical race theory would interpret the event regardless of the facts. For good measure, one of their columnists denounced reporting of law enforcement's version of events in the newspaper because it distracted attention from the real motives. Today, the New York Times ran yet another full-on critical theory piece disguised as news on how these murders are proof of structural racism and sexism, because some activists say they are. Mass killers, if they are motivated by bigotry or hate, tend to let the world know. The suspected attacker in Pittsburgh allegedly said he wanted to kill Jews while rampaging inside the synagogue. 
Police said the man charged with the killings at the El Paso Walmart told them he was targeting Mexicans that day. And the man who massacred black parishioners inside a Charleston church detailed his racist motivations at length. This mass murder in Atlanta actually denied any such motive. And to repeat myself, there is no evidence for it. And that has been true from the very start. And yet, a friend forwarded me the note swiftly sent to students and faculty at Harvard, which sums up the instant view of our elite. Many of us woke up, and he's quoting the note here. Many of us woke up yesterday to the horrific news of the vicious and deadly attack in Atlanta, the latest in a wave of increasing violence targeting Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Island communities. This violence has a history, from Chinese exclusion to the nativist rhetoric amplified during the pandemic. Anti-Asian hostility has deep roots in American culture. And on and on. It was almost as if they had a pre-existing script to read. Whatever the facts, whatever the facts of the case. Nicole Hannah-Jones, she's the originator of the 1619 Project, the most powerful journalist at the New York Times, took to Twitter in the early morning of March 17th to pronounce, quote, Last night's shooting and the appalling rise in anti-Asian violence stem from a sick society where nationalism has been stoked and normalized. When cops reported the killer's actual confession, left Twitter went nuts. One gender study professor recited the litany, quote, the refusal to name anti-Asian, racism, white supremacy, misogyny, or class in this is whiteness doing what it always does around justifying its death dealing to ignore the deeply racist and misogynistic history of hypersexualization of Asian women in this explication from law enforcement of what emboldened this killer is also a willful erasure. In the root, the real reason for the murder was detailed. Quote, White supremacy is a virus that, like other virus, will not die until there are no bodies left for it to infect, which means the only way to stop it is to locate it, isolate it, and extract it and kill it. None of these people mention that he killed two white people as well, a weird thing for a white supremacist to do, and injured a a Latino. None pointed out that the connection between the spas was that the killer had visited them. None explained why, if he were associating Asian people with COVID-19, he would nonetheless expose himself to the virus by having sex with them or regard these spas as safer than other ways to have quick sex. They didn't because in their worldview, they didn't need to. What you see here is social justice ideology insisting, as Dean Baquet Right, editor of the New York Times, temporarily explained that intent doesn't matter. What matters is impact. The individual killer is in some ways irrelevant. His intentions are not material. He is merely a vehicle for the structure for the structural oppression forces critical theorists believe in. And this story is what the media elites decided to concentrate on. The thing that, as far as we know, didn't happen. All right, so 
Let me read two more paragraphs, and then I want to skip to something, and then I'll get to the end. He writes this. And then, now again, this, this voice of clarity, right? This voice of clarity. We don't know all the nuances of this case. Again, we shouldn't take a killer's confession at face value or his roommate's memories. We may yet be surprised by some other factor, including perhaps anti-Asian bias that has so far been missing. One, and then in parentheses, one rumor aired in, in the Korean media, but unconfirmed anywhere else, is that the killer conveniently cried, I want to kill Asians before the murder spree. Close parenthetical. Next paragraph. But notice how critical race theory operates. The only evidence it needs, it already has. Check out the identity of the victim or victims. Check out the identity of the culprit. And it's all you need to know. If the victims are white, they don't really count. Everything in America is driven by white supremacist hate of some sort or other. You can jam any fact, any phenomenon into this rubric in order to explain it. The only complexity the CRT crowd will admit is multiple intersectional forms of oppression. So this case is about misogyny and white supremacy. The one thing they cannot see are unique individual human beings driven by a vast range of human emotions, committing crimes with distinctive psychological profiles from a variety of motives, including prejudices, but far, far more complicated than that. There's a reason for this shift, treating the individual as unique, granting him or her rights, defending the presumption of innocence, relying on provable, objectable evidence. These core liberal values are precisely what critical race theory aims to deconstruct. And the elite media is in the vanguard of this war on liberalism. So then he goes on to talk about hate crimes against Asian Americans. The more Asian Americans succeed, the deeper the envy and hostility that can be directed toward them. The National Crime Victimization Survey notes that the rate of violent crime against Asians increased from 8.2% to 16.2% per 1,000 people aged 12 or older from 2015 to 2018. Hate crimes, question mark. Hate crime incidents against Asian Americans had an annual rate of increase of approximately 12% from 2012 to 2014. Although there was a temporary decrease from 2014 to 2015, anti-Asian bias crimes increased again from 2015 to 2018. And then he talks about who is victimizing Asians. Asians are different from other groups in this respect. Compared, comparing with black and Hispanic victims, Asian Americans have relatively higher chance to be victimized by non-white offenders. Asian Americans have higher risk to be persecuted by strangers, are less likely to be offended in their residence, and are more likely to be targeted at school or college. 
of those committing violence against Asians, you discover that 24% of such attacks are committed by whites who make up over 60% of the population. 24% are committed by fellow Asians, 7% by Hispanics, 27% by African Americans. The best data I've found for 2020, the salient period for this discussion, are provisional data on complaints and arrests for hate crimes against Asian in New York City, one of the two cities which seem to have been most affected. They recorded 20 such arrests in 2020. Of those 20 offenders, 11 were African American, two black Hispanic, so that's 13, two were white, and five were Hispanic. So out of 20 incidents, 18 are non-white people. Of the black offenders, the majority were women. The bulk happened last March, and they petered out soon thereafter. If you drill down, drill down in some recent incidents in the news in California and get past the media gloss to the actual mugshots, you also find as many black offenders as you find white. So you can see this whole narrative, right? <laughs> you, you're, and if you're watching it, you're going, wow, how did we... How do we get to such a state, right? How do we get to such a state where our media has been taken over? And if you combine the Teen Vogue thing with uh, with the re- quote, and I put reporting in terms of in quotes because it's not reporting anymore. And you need to know that. I, I tell you, you need to you need to find these people like Glenn Greenwald, right? like Andrew Sullivan, like Barry Weiss, who believe in, in their profession. And that's where you get your new that, that's where you get your news content from, these people. Because what's going on in this country is stunning, in my opinion. I'm sixty three years old. I can't believe what I see on a daily basis. And you have demonstrations all over the country because the ability, and we've talked about this, right? We've talked about this um, with, you know, the Mensa brothers that I'm talking about this. But the ability of young people in this country to think critically for themselves, I mean, stunningly absent. Now, again, not, not all, but, you know, you can't get to where the nation is Without, without a fair number of people being bobbleheads. And that's scary stuff. And you're seeing it leak into inside the DOD. This boogeyman that we're chasing now, this extremist, right, it's going to be like Marines United. In 1.3, in a force of 1.3 or 4 million people, how many are you going to talk about? Right? Marines United was less than 100 people you know, in the Marine Corps of all sorts, of all sorts of involvement. When you talk about the people that actually did what got thrown up on the Internet, on TV and stuff like that, 
It was a very, very small number of people. And there's no doubt in my mind that this will be the same. Let me read you um let me read you how Andrew Sullivan concludes. The theory behind the the hate crimes law is that these crimes matter more because they terrify so many people beyond the actual victim. And so it seems to me the media's primary role in cases like these is providing some data and perspective on what's actually happening to allay irrational fear. Instead, they contribute to the distortion by breathlessly hyping one incident without a single provable link to go to any of this and scare the bejesus out of people unnecessarily. And then here's his last paragraph. The media is supposed to subject easy, convenient, rush-to-judgment narratives to ruthless empirical testing. Now, for purely ideological reasons, they are rushing to promote ready-made narratives which actually point away from the empirical facts. To run 16 separate pieces on anti-Asian white supremacist misogynist hate based on one possibly completely unrelated incident is not journalism. It's fanning irrational fear in the cause of ideological indoctrination. And it appears to be where all elite media is headed. And that's the scary thing. Okay? And that's the scary thing. So, again, um, I'll put the link in this hour's post. But um, now I, I read that because Andrew Sullivan, again, uh, although he's conservative, I, he's not considered right a conservative conservative, right? When, and so to me, when I saw the column, I thought, Wow, right? And you see Bill Maher talking, you know, about the Teen Vogue thing, right, and cancel culture, and, you know, and also about the thing in Atlanta. Well, what happens if it's not? And you have, you know, Glenn Greenwald do it his thing. So, again, to me, that represents some hope that you're beginning to see liberal medias, liberal journalists, begin to call this out. And I've said before that it will have to run its course, right? It will have to get worse and worse and worse until you have, you know, many woke people looking and say, yeah, this is wrong and we can't do this. I, I, I don't know who, who that woman is who, you know, Teen Vogue hired and then let go before she even started her job. Okay, but I do know this. I mean, we live in a digital world where young people get on Twitter, young people get on Facebook, when they're far beyond the age of any type of maturity. And they go on there and they say stupid, immature things, as one would expect. And then you're held, right, you're held accountable for that for your entire life. And you're not forgiven for any of it. And I will tell you, all these people that are doing this bullshit, if you crawl up their ass with a white hot flashlight, you will find the exact same thing. But it has to run its course.
has to run its course. And the problem with all of this is, is look, let me tell you, there's a train wreck coming. And that is the George Floyd murder case. The whole trial is going to be about racism in this country. And if the verdicts don't come out the way people have been told they're going to come out, first of all, Minneapolis is going to get wrecked anyway. Okay? So if you live in Minneapolis and you're a business owner, God bless you, board your shit up, hire a security service, do whatever you have to do to save your business. And so critical race theory is going to is going to be as prominent in 2021 as it was in 2020. But if people like Andrew Sullivan are writing stuff like that, if people, you know, like Bill Maher are beginning to speak about it, you know, and Glenn Greenwald doing his thing, to me, there's hope. There's hope. So there you have it on a Monday. That's right. Mike Etor is going to join me tomorrow. And I'm not sure what we're doing on Wednesday yet. Something, rest assured. But I had that kind of in me today, so that's what we're doing. Uh, I'll post a link to um, all three of those pieces, and you can you can have a look at them. So, um, here's an email. Can you go through the particulars of your meal last night? <laughs> um yeah first first thing is buy good meat don't buy cheap meat so filet mignon go buy good meat all right so start there nor this is a this is something the the chef turned me on to in his restaurant nor bernay sauce little packet need some milk and butter Bring it to a boil, let it simmer. Absolutely awesome. So there's your steak. And baked potato with a lot of butter and sour cream. And then asparagus with uh, olive oil. And uh, my favorite is um, is Montreal steak seasoning on the vegetables. And then uh, the oven was on. for the, Because the baked potatoes were big, I turned the oven up a little bit. So the oven was at 425. So throw the asparagus in there for 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Keep an eye on them. And let me tell you, it, first of all, it's a, it's a very low-maintenance meal. It's easy to cook. Baked potatoes are nothing. The asparagus are, you know, fire and forget, you know. Do that little prep and then throw them in uh, the oven. And so the only thing you're really cooking is the steaks. The dessert, you know, Buy a decent cheesecake. I bought this at the supermarket, and it's but it's good. And uh, strawberry puree with some fresh strawberries cut into it, right? So throw them in a uh, food processor of some sort and uh, liquefy those strawberries. Dump some sugar in there, make it taste nice, and then uh, cut some fresh strawberries. Yeah, exactly. It was awesome. I'll put a picture of it in this. I took a picture of my meal last night. I was pretty fired up about it. But again, the other thing is, with uh, Mother's or Father's Day coming up, um, 
the iGrill 2 um, digital meat thermometer that has that can take four probes. And so every one of them, you know, somebody asked me once, well, what happens if, if you have like six pieces of meat? Well, here's how you do that. You keep the pieces of meat that are similar thickness next to each other. So they're cooking over the same heat. And one would have a thermometer, one would not. But they'll cook the same way. And you flip them up at the same time and things like that. But you got to keep them next to each other on the grill. So let's just say you have eight pieces of meat, right? Every other piece of meat has a thermometer. And you could tell by where it's sitting on the grill. And, you know, we'd like to say, well, I mean, if you're cooking with a, a propane grill, then it's not a problem because the heat will be uniform. But if it's not, you know, and again, sometimes different thickness of a cut of meat is going to mean it cooks different. And you'll know when everyone's ready. And the app tells you, hey, your meat's going to be ready soon when you're, I think, with your, when you're within 10 degrees of it, done, of it being done. Oh. Yeah, so it's hard to, uh, hard to screw up. So... Yeah, there you have it. And let me tell you, it was it was awesome. I'm not over it. So on that note, um, yeah, look for you can go to the website. As I said, um, if you want to be in the program, and um, I'm in, I'm recruiting for the program. Yeah. So there's people that I I want to be in it, and. Uh, and so, very cool stuff. So you'll find information there. Like I said, you can also join the support group uh, for uh, the sec- second seminar. And uh, just go on Facebook if you're a Facebook person. Right, type in Post Traumatic Winning Seminar Group, and you'll see a group. You can join that. There's two groups. One's a private group, and that is for graduates, and that's kind of an ongoing thing we're going to do. Uh, and that'll start, I think, next week. Yeah, the 30th. So, exciting stuff relative to post-traumatic winning. So, have a great day. On a Monday, I am out.